in the Old Testament reading coming from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the dead, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. But the steadfast love of the Lord now please join me in the New Testament reading coming from the book of Luke in chapters 21 verses 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box and he saw a poor widow put put in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contribute, contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is the wor word of the Lord. Thank you. Be to God. Let's return to Luke 21. For some time now, couple of years, we have been in a study in the gospel according to Luke. What, what, are we, what are we doing here? What have we seen? What are we seeing? Why are we here? The Son of God, the Son of God, God himself became flesh. We call it the incarnation is a theological word. Incarnate, in flesh. He came in the flesh. That is amazing in and of itself. It's incredible that God walked through his creation in Jesus Christ. But what he did was even more amazing. Not only in the life that he lived, but what he came to do. We looked at his being. The first part of his ministry was spent focused on who am I? Who is Jesus Christ? And when the disciples said, you're the Christ, the Son of God, you're Messiah, the Son of God, when they got his identity, he began to speak to them about what he had come to do. And that was outside of any frame of reference they had about the Messiah. When he started speaking of a Messiah who would die a cruel death, that this was his purpose. That's what we're doing in the gospel according to Luke. We're looking in the, at the greatest light who ever lived on this earth and how he is redeeming his creation. We come this morning to Luke 21 at that scene. The wonderful beauty and laughter of gospel giving. 
no matter what you have thought about giving in the church, giving to God in the past, I want you to just put it out of your mind and just focus on this scene this morning. Let's put this scene in context. The scene which we read this morning really begins with verse 1 of chapter 20. Look at it. It's there on your scripture sheet. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up and said to him. So Jesus, beginning there with with verse 1 of chapter 20, is in the temple. In chapter 20, three different groups approach him at three different times with three different questions. These questions were designed specifically to get Jesus in trouble with the Sanhedrin, with the Roman government, or with the people. This was not just a polite debate. They were trying to destroy him and giving him these difficult answers or get these difficult questions that would be difficult to answer. Jesus brilliantly answered the questions so that the three different groups were completely stymied. They walked away and even they were amazed. Now at that point, Jesus was in the temple and we read in Luke 21.1 in our text this morning, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. Just as we give our gifts, we come to the Lord's house, we give our tithes, his tithes and our offerings on the Lord's day morning. Just as we do that, they had a place in the temple where people gave. The New International Version translates this way. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. The temple treasury was not just a small place in the temple. It was quite large. There were 13 brass chests. They were called trumpets. The reason they were called trumpets is they looked like trumpets turned upside down. There was a small opening that flared out then into a chest, and the people would put their gifts in that small opening. 13 small openings, 13 trumpets. Jesus was watching the people go by the temple treasury and put in their offerings. It was Passover week. We know that. There were several hundred thousand more people in Jerusalem during that week than the ordinary population. Thousands of pilgrims passed through the temple, passed through the temple treasury. But Jesus noted one widow who put in her paltry offering. Now that's the scene that we have. I want us to stand back and observe this with Jesus and hear him make four observations in this. As he gazed and watched this widow give, first, First observation is this. Sinners can please God with their worship. Look at it. This is the Son of God saying this. Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, the Messiah, the sinless, 
holy son of God commended this woman. Jesus loved her giving. Maybe you're like me. I come here in my worship. I felt this way this morning. My worship is so small and so feeble. My worship is like a flickering candle that's about to go out. And I think God could not be pleased. Even at my best, we've talked about this. My worship is feeble and weak. Am am I not a sinner? Is not every prayer I pray stained with sin? Not one of us, not your minister, not your elders, has ever prayed a perfect prayer or a prayer that was not stained with sin. Is not every song sung from a sinful heart? How could God be pleased with my worship? That's why I like this woman so much. And what Jesus said, was was she not a sinner? She did not wear a halo. She did not have wings. She was not an angel. Was she not sometimes guilty of hypocrisy? Did she not sometimes tell lies? Did she not suffer from idolatry like we all do, putting other loves ahead of God? Had she not that very day sinned against God? We must answer yes to all of those. She was a part of our fallen race. And that's the dilemma that we have as sinners. We fear that if we go stand before God, you know our hearts, you know what we've done. That we will be struck dead by holy, by God's holy and just justice. However, We're ashamed not to come and stand before our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer after all he's done for us. The beauty of this is that God says to this confusion, you come and you worship. He calls us to worship him. He solved the problem. He knew we were sinners when he called us to worship him. He said that we were to come anyway. He solved the problem with Jesus. See, we don't walk in that door on Sunday morning. I didn't walk in this morning saying, look how good I am, God. I've really prepared this message. I've really worked on this message. I haven't sinned at all this morning. That's not how we came. We come by way of the cross. We walk through that door. We come by way of that cross confessing first. That we are sinners. In the Old Testament, where was the altar? You know. Where was the altar? Here was the door of the of the tabernacle. You walked through that door and there was that bloody altar right in front of you. What happened at the altar? The lambs were sacrificed. What did they represent? The lamb that God would one day bring. It would be fitting to put a cross right at the door of the church. When when, when Benjamin entered that tabernacle, he didn't find that altar way in the back somewhere hidden. To get to all the places of worship, 
He had to go by the altar. That's how we come, by way of the cross. There's an old saying, you've heard it, that whatever comes our way, whatever happens in this day or in this week, in God's providence in our lives, whatever happens, be it hard or be it wonderful, it passes through the nail-scarred hands of God. It passes through the nail-scarred hands of Christ. Any providence that comes. Well, the reverse is also true. Folks, whatever goes to God from us passes through his nail-scarred hands. Passes through the blood of the cross. Our prayers pass through the blood of Christ. Our hymns pass through the blood of Christ. That's how we can come, even though we're sinners. But then there's the fact that she gave so little. Her gift, did any of you just put a penny in this morning? An offering. That's what she did, essentially. Well, she put a penny in the offering. How could that please him? Her offering was so incredibly small. I have, or I should say I used to have, some sculptures on my office shelves that for me are priceless. I used to have them. I noticed Sometime last year, that they weren't there. Um, Janet was often did often take my things and distribute them to the children. So they're somewhere with the children or grandchildren. But let me tell you what they were. They looked like they were two sculptures: one of a seal and one of an elephant. And you could actually tell one was a seal and one was an elephant. They were created by John and Jamie when they were preschoolers. And they looked like preschoolers. They were preschool art. No value except to me. The fact that they were the sincere work of my children was their excellence. People, that's the way God Loves the feeble praise of his children. If we had the greatest choir in the world up here, by the way, next Sunday night, Independent Presbyterian Church, they're doing as their pre-Easter concert, the choir's doing the whole Messiah. And it will be fabulous. Uh, you can look on their website and see the time. And that choir, uh, that the choir and what they will do that evening will be the best you will hear in any church in Memphis. But even as grand as that will be, it will be like kindergartners singing compared to the worship of God's glory. Go to Revelation. 
And you see there beyond the veil, you see into glory and the great worship there is the archangels and all the hosts of heaven sing. Can you imagine the instruments? This, we, we just love this piano. It's a wonderful piano. It's, it's just it's great. Remember when we got it and how wonderful it sounded? This is, this is Linus's little play piano in peanuts compared to what's in heaven. But God will love the feeble worship of the choir next Sunday night. And he loves our feeble worship here. Because we're his children. We're his children. What is the beauty? What is the wonderful beauty and laughter of gospel giving? Sinners can please God with their worship. Secondly, you look at this and you see one who loves much gives much. And he saw a poor widow put two copper coins, put in two small copper coins. Look at verse four. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Why did she give this money? Was it because Moses commanded her to give a tenth? No, people do not give. This was sacrificial giving for her. Huge sacrificial giving. People do not give sacrificially unless they love. C.S. Lewis was right when he said, and I quote it, it's not raw duty which causes a young man to give his life for his country. It's patriotism. It's because he loves his country. She could have kept one of the coins. She could have said, I'll give 50%. I'll give a penny. I'll keep one back. She gave both. Jesus said that she didn't have any more. Sometimes we've read this passage and we felt sorry for her. But understand this. She did not come grudgingly. She did not come saying, I must tithe and give the last cent. I can't keep one. I must give the last cent or God will get me. Do you intend that Jesus did not mean for us to feel sorry for her? Do you understand that she loved giving those two lepta? That's what they were called. She laughed and delighted in what she gave. How do I know that? Because Jesus loved her gift. How does that tell me? How do I know that? How does that tell me she gave with joy? Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he's made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a giver who laughs when he gives. I wrote a check to the Internal Revenue Service recently. They returned the check with a letter. The letter read, let me read you the letter that I received. Dear Mr. Sartell, we regret to inform you that your check to the Treasury of the United States is unacceptable. There's nothing wrong with the amount of your check. You got that right. However, our handwriting expert tells us that you wrote the check with great reluctance. You did not send us this money in your love and appreciation. Therefore, we're returning your funds 
because they were given without affection. Sincerely, United States Treasury. If you believe that story, I have two bridges that span the Mississippi River downtown, and I will sell them to you right after the service. Just see me. The Treasury Department does not care what the condition of my heart is. They do care about the amount of the check. God cares about the condition of my heart when I give to him. He's not the IRS. Listen to what? Listen to 1 Corinthians 13.3. Mark it. Sober. This ought to be sobering to us. If I give away all I have, that's what the widow did. She gave away that day all she had. If I give away all I have, and I, del- and I go beyond that, I deliver up my body to be burned. But I have not love, I've gained nothing. If I give this without love, it's nothing. This is something. We have a debt on this building somewhere around, what, 500000 Somewhere around that. If you give $500,000 today, if you put that in offering to pay off our building debt, I will be thrilled. The deacons will be thrilled. I'm a sinner, and I don't care whether you give, and the deacons don't care whether you give out of love. We should, but we don't. But it's another matter. It's another matter with Jesus. If you give $500,000 this morning to pay off the debt, and you do it reluctantly, gritting your teeth, out of duty, Jesus says you might as well have not written a check at all. It does not mean a thing. Wow. I was flying somewhere several years ago. It made me think about it this week. I was flying somewhere several years ago. Now, I sat next to a lady who had a spectacular diamond ring on her finger. After we had talked for a while, I commented on the beauty of the diamond. It was really beautiful. She looked at the ring, and she was, you could tell she was thinking. And she said, my husband gave me this ring last year. And then she turned and looked at me and said, soberly, I would have rather that he had given me his love. Didn't say anything else, but I knew what she meant. Jesus was saying, I don't take the ring without the love. It doesn't mean anything. If you don't love to give to God, then don't. What is the wonderful beauty and laughter of gospel giving? Sinners can please God with their worship. One who gives much, Thirdly, the equality of gospel giving. Look at verse 3. I'll tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. He wasn't just speaking in a kind of wistful way. He was speaking a truth. There were many folks that day who put in lots and lots of money. Think about it. There were people that that this was the only time they would ever be in the temple. They had come from as far as Rome or Africa. Maybe the only time in their lives, and they were going to give. They had come to do this. Look at verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. Those, those people were putting in far more than two lepta. Let me tell you how small her gift was. Eight lepta equaled one Assyrian. 16 Assyrians made up one denarius. Why is that important? Because a denarius was one day's wage. 
Alepta was one 128th of a day's wage. She put in 164th of a day's wage. And Jesus was impressed. He said, if you take all that the rich put in, you put on a scale, and you put her left on the other, the scale's balanced. That's the equality of gospel giving. The rich gave from their wealth. She gave from her poverty. Evidently, she could not even afford a day's wage. Most widows couldn't. Isn't that great news? We want to give to Jesus, but we only have two pennies. What difference is it going to make? This is where you must understand something important. I just mentioned a $500,000 debt. You know, you may look at that and be on and, 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 and have an income that just doesn't, you know, 10, it's 10% of it is just not much. And you look at that and you say, what difference could this make? It won't make any difference whether I give or not. Does Jesus say anything about need here? You notice he's praising this. He says, he's talking about giving and he says nothing. We don't give. We say this every week in this place. We don't give because there's a need. God doesn't need your money, He owns the universe. It's not because there's a need. There's a the need. The reason we give is we need to give. Every week we have this great temptation to think we're self-made people. Look what I've done. Look, I've got this house. I've got this car. I've got this money. I've got this. I'm this athlete or this or that. We 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 come here every Lord's day, and when we give our offering, we're saying, "I'm not a self-made man. I'm not a self-made woman. I'm not a self-made." Teenager, I'm not a self-made child. I'm completely dependent. All that I have, every breath that I take, every bit of food that I eat, everything I have comes from Him. Now be careful. When you're able to give more, when God has provided much for you, and you come and you give a penny, you better change your ways. And the only joy you're giving, the only joy is that you're thinking, gosh, think about how much more I have now. I've given to God, but I have this. But there's an equality in this. God gives the man his millions. He gives another man a job that pays him $15,000 a year. They both come and give to the Lord according to their income. And God does not say this man gives more. The man that gives me gives more than the man that, that gives his bit. You see, we're looking at what God has done for us. And our giving is in response to that saying we owe everything to him. A few years ago, I knew a young man who had, had become wealthy 
as a young man. He got it the old-fashioned way. He inherited it. And, and he had become a Christian, a godly young man. And after planning and looking and looking at this whole matter of giving, he wrote to the investment firm that, that handled his investments and his fund. And he asked them, told them to send a check, a substantial check, a substantial sum to his church. And they called him and said that they could not recommend in good conscience that he give to that kind of money to the church. They asked him to reconsider. And he politely told them he would, even though his mind was made up and he knew the problem. He knew that they were approaching this as the world approaches and that they didn't have any value for the church. They thought they were looking out for this young man. But he thought about it for a while. He came across a painting, a beautiful painting of the crucifixion. It was moving. And he bought it. It was costly. And he sent it to the man who was in charge of his fund. And he wrote a note with it and said, this painting will explain what I'm going to do. As you suggested, I have reconsidered. Look at this painting. He's not only given me everything I have materially, but his own son died for me. Double the amount of the check. And send it. What is the wonderful beauty and laughter of gospel giving? Sinners can please God with their worship. Feeble as we are. Sinful as we are. One who gives much. Loves much. Then there's this equality of gospel giving. And finally. And we're done. The power of gospel giving. There's a power in this. In Luke 21, 2, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. She bought two lepka to God and put it in his hands, two pennies. What is that? What does that call to your mind? There's another gospel story that ought to come to your mind. What does it call to mind? Remember the little boy? crowd of thousands and Jesus the disciples came and said we've got to disperse a crowd they, they, they're, you know if we keep them out here they're not going to be able to have anything to eat they're going to be famished and Jesus said to the disciples you feed them the disciples said yeah right and they, they went out to the crowd, see what the crowd had. And this little boy had two loaves and three, two fish and three loaves, something like that. And he put them in the hands of Jesus. And Jesus fed the thousands. He exploded two fish and five loaves into thousands and thousands of fish and thousands and thousands of loaves. That's a wonderful picture of what God is like. Look at creation. 
When I was a kid, I, this really bothered me. When I was 12, 13, 14 years old, why did God, why didn't God just make the sun and the moon and the earth? Why, why the solar system? But he just didn't make a solar system. Why the galaxy? He didn't make just a galaxy. He made millions of galaxies. Because God is so great. God is so huge. He's omnipotent. He's eternal. He's omniscient. Anything he creates, any piece of art he creates has to look like God did it. And had, what did he make it from? Did, did he make it from a couple of atoms? No. Did he make it a couple of molecules? No. Ex nihil. It's a theological statement. From nothing. From nothing. If God can make a universe from nothing, what can he do with the $10 you give him or the $100 you give him or whatever it is? I love this. What is the wonderful beauty and laughter of gospel giving. We have a God who conquers cities with the pennies we give. We have a God who will conquer civilizations with the millions that we give. You got two left. You got two pennies this morning, and it really represents proportionally how God has blessed you. Then you give it. God may even use it to pay off that five hundred thousand dollars debt. Think about it. That widow dropped those two pennies in the trumpet. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. That widow. One day, you may meet her. Our hymn is most appropriate. When I survey the wondrous cross.